I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hey everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i'm your host jessica dwyer and tonight's episode is packed full of interviews we've actually got two great interviews for you this week um the first we'll be recording today is with isaac marion who is the writer of the amazing novel um warm bodies which spawned an equally awesome film and he's actually written a prequel that you can get online as well as written, um, he calls this an unofficial uh, soundtrack to Warm Bodies, uh, a CD uh, that you can actually download on iTunes called Dead Children, which is a little creepy in just its title. Uh, but he's also starting work on the follow-up sequel to Warm Bodies. So uh, he is quite the busy man in the world of zombifi- zombification, but um, he's also a painter, a an artist, photographer, and like I said, he's also a musician. So he's sort of an all-around renaissance man, if you will. Um, so we will be talking with Isaac today. And then later in the show, we will be talking with Captain Christopher Pike himself, Bruce Greenwood, to discuss the uh, upcoming release of Star Trek Into Darkness on Blu-ray and Blu-ray 3D. So with that, let's go ahead and get into our first interview with Isaac Marion. Hello, Hi, Isaac. This is Jessica with Fangirl Radio. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Um, are you clear for uh, about 15, 20 minutes? Yeah, um, hopefully we'll have okay reception. I wasn't able to get hold of the landline, but um, if I start cutting out too bad, let me know, and I can try to move somewhere else in kind of a not-great territory. Oh, that sounds perfect. Um, so when if you're ready, um, we can get going. Sure. Okay, perfect. Okay, so Amanda, um, I'm going to do an intro for my, my producer's on the line. She's recording. Um, so um, I'm going to do an intro for you, and then um, I have a few questions, and we should be good. All right. Perfect. All righty. So everyone, I want to welcome Isaac Marion to the show. Um, you may know his work as, um, from the movie Warm Bodies, which was based on his novel of the same name. And not only that, but he's also a painter, a photographer, a musician, and pretty much all around awesome uh, in the world of art. So uh, I want to thank Isaac for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Generous intro. Thank you. Um, well, I... <laughs> I wanted to. I, I just wanted to start off by asking you, because um, your work is really amazing, and I've I've read you've got like your short stories online for um, just for free for access for people to read, which is I think amazing for you to do. But what writers influenced um, you and in, uh, from the beginning? Because I know you started young. You started writing at the age of fourteen. Yeah, um, well, I, my influences are kind of all over the map. Uh, I I don't usually settle on one author for very long. I usually read one, maybe two books, and then move on. So it's hard to like really define what authors influenced me. But I guess uh, when I got started, it was like a lot of Stephen King and Kurt Vonnegut and stuff like that. And then as I got older, I started to move into a little more literary realm of like Dave Eggers and Cormac McCarthy and stuff like that. Um, and so it's kind of a, a general mix of like all the, the authors that, that write genre type stories with with a more more literary bent, I guess. So do you um did you find yourself gravitating to people sort of like uh, you know your your work is definitely especially with warm bodies it's definitely a metaphor not just that though in some of your other short stories as well. Um 
do you gravitate to the ones that really are trying to make a point um, it, within the realm of genre? Yeah, I think um, really even even without the realm of genre, it, it, it's, a story has to have some kind of meaning to make me care about it pretty much. I mean, like it's, if it's a movie, I can go I can go watch dumb action movies as much as the next guy and, and enjoy it, but but really, if I'm going to spend any significant time or or mental investment in something, it needs to be about something. And uh, so, yeah, I, I pretty much seek out uh, stuff that that has some, not necessarily like a big, loud message per se, but like something that that means something that has some kind of connection to to our world and the issues that we deal with. So um, I, I was going to say a lot of your um, stories and, and, and like warm bodies in, in terms of just the, the metaphor that was used for reminds me a lot of like something that you'd see from the Twilight Zone, like Rod Serling-esque, where he used it as a, as a vehicle yeah. to, to get a point. I really like that. Um, yeah, so I what? big oh. Twilight Zone fan. Nice. I guess that's another influence, but not, not an author, but... Well, I, you know, he, I'm, I'm pretty excited. They're actually getting ready to do some of his un, um, unpublished work and un, unproduced work. They're, they're going to start making uh, into actual film now of, of Surly. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, so zombies is a metaphor, and I'm not just going to focus on warm bodies because you've got a lot of stuff, and I'm picking your brain like a crazy person because I really like your yeah. work. Um, but zombies is a metaphor isn't something – it's not something new, but you managed to do something cool. You've taken two very um, – you know, something that's very – has been done with using metaphor and zombies, but you also use the Romeo and Juliet angle, and you created something unique with it, though, with this, I think. It hadn't been done before. Um, is that what you intended to do? Was that something that you kind of challenged yourself with? You mean just to do something that hadn't been done before? With with these two tropes that have, have kind oh. of... Ha- right. Well, I think the the Romeo and Juliet references are, are sort of a minor illusion. I, I, it wasn't really... It wasn't like I set out to to write like Romeo and Juliet with zombies. It, it was more like that was in it that I kept noticing popping up and I decided to develop it a little bit more, but I would say that's more of a, a B theme than, than any like major um, purpose of the story. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some, some themes of Rome and Juliet that are definitely relevant that connect to the themes of, of this book. And so I went ahead and kind of included all the little running jokes and references to it. But, um, but it's, it's not, that's, that's a small part of it, I would say. Gotcha. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you in, in regards to this specifically Warm Bodies was you've written a prequel and now you're starting a sequel. And we actually had um, a listener ask um, how that was going. And I'm, I'm curious as how the sequel is going as well. But did did you plan to do um, – because you, it's sort of like you you did the the primary piece with the film with the with the book, and then you did a prequel. And now you're doing a sequel. How did that plan out in your head? Did you mean to do a three three part with this at the beginning? Well, at the very beginning, I yeah, I had like when I finished writing Warm Bodies, I I definitely had a lot of thoughts and ideas of what would happen after that because um, mm-hmm. it ends on a fairly ambiguous note and. I knew that there would be a lot more um, story to tell there uh, if it continued, but I didn't. At, th- at that point, I wasn't really thinking that I would have the option of of, of writing anything else in that in that series uh, in that story because I, you know, I hadn't had anything published before, and it was just all I was thinking about at that time was maybe I could get this book published somewhere at anywhere really, and, and I was just thinking about that. So I wasn't quite as ambitious as thinking like I'm. I'm and write a trilogy as my first published work ever. Um, but I did have all those ideas and kind of uh, the direction of the story in my head. So after the book was a success, then I started thinking about maybe maybe I can actually continue and, and finish that story. Gotcha. And, and, and oh, I was going to say, um, did you uh, just decide to do a prequel first before doing a sequel? I started writing the prequel kind of during uh, a lull um, in the whole process, kind of while I was 
waiting for some other things to happen, things finished up with, with warm bodies. And I, um, I, I knew that story, obviously from the background of the characters, it's, it's referenced in, in warm bodies a lot. So I, I already knew that that was an interesting story and I just decided to, to write it. I originally wrote it as kind of a, a very long short story. Um, and then as it came along, I kind of realized that, there was more potential there and expanded it a little bit. And eventually after I decided to actually do sequel, I expanded it more so that it actually kind of is a, a tie into the sequel. And it's prequels are kind of, a lot of prequels don't interest me that much because they're, they feel kind of like afterthoughts after the, the story right. is, is actually over. It's like for the diehard fans who want to see what, what, what happened in the past, they can check in, but it's kind of like, it feels kind of anticlimactic because you already know what everything, how everything ends. And in this case, the prequel is kind of, it's, it's almost like a middle book in the chronology. It takes place earlier, but it lays the groundwork for all the stuff that's going to happen in the sequel. So it interested me more in, in writing that story because it's kind of like, like a primer for, for the main event rather than like a, a retrospective on what already happened. Gotcha. And, because and since, since, ever, since so many of the characters have lost their memory, it's kind of like it's news to them as well when they find <laughs> out the things that happened in their past. So. <laughs> That's funny and true. So um, I, I was going to ask you about the film itself, uh, kind of hopping away from the book aspect, but to the movie. Uh, you had two very different celeb endorsements with Simon Pegg and then <laughs> Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. Uh, which was kind of great because they're from one end of the spectrum to the other and they both loved you. Um, do you think it, it, there was a f- chance that it could have backfired if the Twilight Connection had been really pursued? Because I know with the beginning, with the marketing, it looked like they, Summit was going to try and, and really pull this as a Twilight kind of film, but it's not at all. And I was very glad to see that they changed the marketing look to its own. Yeah. Did you... Yeah, the, the- Originally, um, well, I think what, what caused a lot of that stir at the beginning was they had, there was this promo image that was never really intended to be released. It was, it was, it was like a international, um, market conference thing that was geared oh. towards the international market and wasn't, wasn't part of their U S marketing campaign, but somebody took a picture of it at this conference and posted it. And that became, and at that time that was literally the only, image or information of any kind about it. So that got circulated around and everyone thought like, Oh my God, this is a, you know, pixel for pixel remake of the twilight poster. <laughs> so it was it, uh, <laughs> Yeah. So that was never intentional. And they, when that happened, they kind of just told me like, just, just ignore it. Wait, when we do our actual marketing campaign, everyone will, will get it. But it's not, we're not trying to do that. So it was, just distressing for a while during that phase because it, it was just kind of set for like, oh my god, this is a blatant rip off Twilight, and they're just trying to re- rehash their their past success and everything. But once the trailer came out, once they started doing their real marketing, a lot of that went went silent. Yeah, and I was very, I was going to be very sad because I kept telling people, no, no, please. I was like championing the cause online. No, yeah. give it a chance. Don't, don't. It's very that. hard to, it's a hard sell to convince someone that it's not when there's Stephanie Meyer's name is right there on the cover and it's by Summon Entertainment and like all those connections that are there combined right. with the fact that on the surface, the plot sounds similar. Like if, if you just say like the three word pitch or something, it's, it sounds a lot like that. So I totally understand people making that, that assumption, but I spent a lot of time during that whole marketing phase of trying to convince people that, it, that that's not what it was. Well, and I think that, that Simon Pegg's uh, telling everyone that it's one of the best books he's read um, was really helpful too. Cause you can't yeah, get much better actually, than Shaun, yeah, Shaun of the Dead. I heard can't. a lot of people specifically saying like, well, I was about ready to dismiss this when I saw the Stephanie Meyer quote, but, Simon Pegg likes it. I guess I should check it out. So it was, it was a big, uh, very grateful to him for that. So what surprised you? Um, I know that you, you, I read that you had said that you really 
didn't have a lot of input into the film, but you they they gave you uh, access to it and asked you for some information and and what you thought would be a good way to go. What surprised you about the filmmaking process? Is this was like one of the first times you've been part of it, and also is there a, a chance of of a sequel being made off of the new book once it's finished? Well, the. I think the most surprising thing about the process was just that I did have input. I mean, I didn't have control exactly, but I got, had a, actually quite a lot of input. Um, they consulted me on a lot of different stages of it, and I could you know, say my piece and they'd take it or leave it. Uh, it wasn't like I had veto power over any decisions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got to read a few drafts of the script and get some notes on that, and, like, um, they t- had a few phone calls with me about, like, trying to figure out how to visualize certain things and see if I had any ideas. So they were, that was a big surprise because from what I've heard from most people, including my agent, who's done lots of film adaptations, it's pretty rare that the film studio has any interest in, in the author. Usually they're just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You wrote the book. It's ours now. Get lost. <laughs> and even for big name, like major bestseller authors who should you think would have clout, they, my agent has told me stories of uh, those people just literally being told, like, shut the hell up, let us do our job. Right. <laughs> and so for me, who I was absolutely nobody at the time, the book wasn't even published yet, um, or I mean, it wasn't released yet, uh, I was surprised and very grateful that they involved me in that process. That's great. Um, obviously, you know, it, it involved the because the consultation only goes so far. Like, there's um, one one small part of a large team of of creative people who are making the film. So it, it's not like their version is exactly what I would have done by any means. But it's closer than it could have been if I was dismissed entirely. So um, your other question, that's pretty much unknown at this point because no one's seen the sequel, including me, <laughs> still writing it. So. Uh, they they're interested in the idea. I know that much. Like they they had it was it was a great experience for everyone making the movie, from what I've heard, and it was a success. And so they're definitely open to the idea of doing a sequel. It just would depend on what I come up with, I guess. And gotcha. I guess there's always a chance that even if I write something terrible, they might you know take it and do their own version of it or something anyway. But it's it's a long way off to, to determine that, I guess. I don't think it'll be terrible. I, I have faith. Hopefully not. <laughs> it will be good. <laughs> um, so the, my one of my last questions in regards to this, I, I, I just wanted to find out because your take was so unique that it came from the zombies perspective so much and no one really had done that that I can tell before, I mean, like in, in the way that you did it, where you had these brain eating zombies and, and it was very unique what mindset did you have to get into and what inspired that specific, you know, how you did it was so neat. Where did you get that from? It was really kind of an unexpected out of nowhere idea for me. It wasn't, um, it surprised me that I, that I was doing that. Like when I, as, as I was actually writing a novel, it kind of hit me every once in a while. Like this is a zombie novel. You're writing a zombie novel. When, how did that happen? Cause it's very far removed from, what I normally do as far as writing and reading, and um, it, it just sort of it, it built its own momentum somehow. And originally, the initial spark of the idea was just I was writing a lot of short stories at the time, and I just thought, oh, what would happen if I just started kind of started writing from this perspective and you know imagining kind of the, the quintessential classic zombie and the apocalypse and all the, the tropes that go with that? What would happen if I just started writing it? as one of those zombies and, and like what we say about his life, what we, how he think, how he perceives the world. Um, because I always thought that it was kind of, it was kind of uh, a wasted opportunity in so many, so many zombie movies and books and whatever that there's this, you know, human being who is standing there who, you know, used to have a personality and a life and everything. And they still have some kind of consciousness, obviously, even though, People will say that zombies are supposed to be mindless. They, they clearly aren't because they're capable of making decisions and, uh, you know, reasoning out attacks and like all this stuff that requires some kind of thought to do. 
So I wanted to just kind of see like, what would that sound be like? And then that turned into, well, it's not that they are literally mindless. It's that the state of mind that they're in is so depressed and sunken down and like just apathetic to such an extreme that to the outside observer, they appear to be zombies because they're just, they have no interest in expressing themselves or doing anything other than just repeating these, these patterns that I built into them. So that was kind of the initial idea and that's what the short story was. And then as I um, thought about that more, kind of started to connect to a lot of other things I was thinking about and like personal issues and social issues and all this other stuff kind of got added to the pot and became a much more complex story than I ever thought it would. That's, that's awesome. And, and it's, I, I just find it funny that you live in Portland now and, and, and you probably see these same people kind of doing the same thing. All the time. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, well, I mean, okay. I was one of those people not that long ago. <laughs> kind of, around the time that I was writing this book was, the book was kind of a therapeutic experience for me because I was, kind of going through my own transformation of life at that time and, and was feeling like R does in this book. And in the process of writing the book kind of helped me figure out how to pull myself out of that. To some it's, extent, an easy, so. it's an easy trap to get into, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, it's weird to say that a zombie book is autobiographical, but in, in some ways it is. Oh, no, no. I, I Some of the scenes, yeah. No, they are. <laughs> I can easily see it. Um, yeah. So but you're also a songwriter, and I wanted to f- ask you just, it, it's kind of a strange question, but how is the process for songwriting different from writing, say, poetry or planning a book? I mean, because you're trying to say, I, I'm sure there's different levels to it, and I'm curious to see how it takes you as a writer, because you're doing so many different fields, um, how it, it's different. I think there's actually a lot of crossover between writing music and writing fiction. Um, it, it's, I mean, and some people write songs that are actually stories. They have a clear narrative, characters and everything, and those are even more similar. But um, even for the more poetic kind of songwriting, it's, you know, it's, it's language. It's, it's the, the skill of constructing words in a, in a, in a way that is pleasing in some way. And, and, you know, there's no actual melody in in writing prose, but the the rhythm is there, the same as there is for music. Um, the kind of the, the cadence of sentences, all that stuff, comes into play equally in both in both fields. At least, I think it should. It doesn't always. Um, some writers are, don't really think that that's relevant, and it's just about telling a story. But the ones that I enjoy are, are more musical in their in their style, not like to the point of being outright poetry, but but you know, having some some beauty to their their language. So there's a lot of crossover there, and in a lot of my writing, I've used uh, like shared ideas between songs and stories. Some some songs have been based on short stories that I've written, and vice versa. And there's just kind of a lot of of shared uh, material between those two fields for me. I, I like it when when I'm reading flows. And and when I'm trying to write things as well, like when I try to write fiction, it, I like the words to flow. It, they they need to, yeah. to to sound pretty together, even though they're not rhyming or anything. It's it's kind of neat yeah. to have a what that flow going. And it's great. Yeah, I'm most surprised that that it, that's a, that's an aspect of writing that seems to be kind of like the last point on the course. They, they don't talk about it nearly as much as, as other things, but to me, it's pretty hugely important if I'm reading. Even if the story is really good and really compelling characters and everything, if the prose is clunky and just kind of dull and uninteresting, it's not colorful, it doesn't inspire you know, emotions or imagery in my head, then it's kind of a wasted opportunity, I feel like, um, because there's so much that can go into that. Like even down to the, with my writing, like I, I pretty much treat it like songwriting. I examine the paragraph for a long time and down to the micro level, it's like, where, is, where should I put this comma uh, to get the right meter of this line or something? So to me, it's a big deal. Well, and, and the other thing that I try to do, and I don't know if this is something that, 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 that you do, it's maybe just something that I have going on in my head, is, is I try not to use the same adjectives constantly, like try to, to describe with more depth and less repetitive words. Yeah, definitely. 
<laughs> that one is kind of that's a, a pretty fundamental thing that you know you hear in high school English class. But I think that the, the one of the nice effects of that rule, as well as not just repeating the same words over and again, is that sometimes you get stuck with trying to find a way to say a sentence without using that same word again, and then you realize you can't, so you reformat the whole sentence, and it becomes yeah. a different different rhythm and a different pacing, and it ends up being making the page more diverse in general. So Exactly. It's always good to keep the keep changing up the, the flows. Exactly. So uh, kind of into that, too, you, you also paint and... and um, which I find your art's beautiful. I've, I've gone to your page and looked through all of them. Um, so do you find yourself starting on something or do you build a story? Cause you are a storyteller. Do you build a story before you paint a, 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 a work or do you just start and then it comes to you? Because I'm always curious about that, especially with someone like you, like, and with like Clive Barker, for example, they, you both, draw and you paint and and you both write yeah i think with painting it it usually doesn't start with a, with a story idea it usually it's just a visual concept i have and then but with a lot of my paintings there is some, some kind of uh maybe not a story exactly but some kind of narrative um content some of them actually have writing in them with you know painted into the background or, or scribbled in the corners or something so there's Usually, it's kind of similar to what I do with with photography. Like on my on my photography Tumblr, most of the photos that I post, I write some kind of little miniature poem or, or blurb of writing to go along with them. Just something that the image inspires for me. Uh-huh. And um, I did did this. I haven't done much painting for a couple of years, but that was usually kind of my mo. So I would create the visual and then kind of look at it and see what what it feel like to me and then kind of write almost like a like a stream of consciousness automatic writing kind of thing would happen that's cool um so isaac i know i'm I'm about to uh lose you here in just a couple of minutes um but i wanted to give you a chance to let everyone know what you're up to and what you have upcoming and where they can find you online and uh to see some of your stuff well i have a ton of websites um the most relevant one is probably burningbuilding.com, which is my blog, and it's where I post pretty much every relevant news um, to my writing or just really anything I do. Um, I have two. I have Twitter, Isaac in Space, my Twitter handle. That's probably the most active uh, social network that I'm using. And I also have a fan page on Facebook, which is where I kind of post regular updates on how my writing is going. And... Uh, got two tumblers. There's a photo one, which is, uh, I don't even remember the address, but if you search for my name, I think it comes up. And then there's another one that's just like thoughts and, and writings. Um, so there's those, and that's my web presence pretty much. Um, doing a thing at Bunker Shoot today uh, at 2 o'clock, but it's a little late to be announcing that probably. <laughs> and, uh, that's pretty much all I have on my schedule at the moment. Just kind of no. trying to hunker down and write this book. And are you going to be appearing at any conventions upcoming? Uh, actually, yeah. I'm, I'm in October. I'm doing something called Fandom Con in Florida. Nice. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm assuming that's just kind of general nerdery, if it's based on the <laughs> title and what I've seen of the, of the website. Um, but that's that's all I have going on. For now, I've been kind of trying to not say yes to everything lately because I'm it's a little trying to write to, your sequel. <laughs> to, yeah, I deep in the novel's bone, and all of a sudden I have to fly to Florida. It's a little bit distracting. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Isaac, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great talking to you and chatting. And and uh, I, like I said, I'm a huge fan of your work. You you did something great with zombies that I don't think anybody had ever <laughs> suspected could be done. So, thank you again. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll love to have you back on at some point when you when you have uh, time and maybe when the, the sequel comes out. Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Isaac. Thank you for uh, joining us and uh, have a good weekend. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye.
And there you have it, everybody, Isaac Marion. Um, and I will have up on fangirlmag.com links to all of the places online where you can check his stuff out. And I wasn't joking. He has short stories posted for free online that you can read. Um, and uh, all of his artwork is up there as well. And it is truly beautiful. So I think you should check it out. And uh, we'll have that posted on fangirlmag.com uh, this week. So, everybody, um, I want to welcome Bruce Greenwood to Fangirl Radio. And um, he needs really no introduction. He is Christopher Pike. And if you know anything about the Star Trek universe of recent years, um, he's pretty much one of the most badass guys on the Enterprise. And I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show today. I'm happy to be here. Um, so let's get started because I actually um, I, I kind of pulled some questions from our viewers or listeners online. And, and uh, okay. I, I, I have quite a few for you. Um, but first and foremost, just personally, how bright are the lights on the set? Uh, depends. It depends what set you're talking about. Um, on on we the had a bank. Mm, they're not. They're not that bright. I mean, it feels like it feels like real life. Feels like real. Feels like a real spaceship. Feels like uh, other spaceships I've been on. You know. Nice. Um, no, it's. I mean, it's. I have of course, I haven't been on any other stations. <laughs> but uh, no, they're not. The, they're not. They're not that bright. You wouldn't be they're able to see bright. outside if they were too bright. That's true. You wouldn't, I, be, I wouldn't be able to see the universe. If it was overlit, you wouldn't be able to see the universe. That's true. I, I'm always just curious because of you know everyone makes the cracks about the lens flare, and I'm always wondering how how is it to be on that set around all of that? Because it seems like it would be pretty intense, but it sounds like it's not. Um, no, you f- you feel the flares, but usually the flares are happening when there's a lot of action. So there's a lot more, a lot of other stuff going on. The other reason to keep the lights, the lights low inside is is so that um, you know people flying by can't look in. Gotcha, gotcha. That's <laughs> true. Um, you know, it's like it's like sitting in sitting in your living room with the lights on and the streets dark. You know, people can stop and watch you. That's true. That's hilarious. Um, so. Kind of, so if you uh, want the bridge to be, you want the bridge to be private at all, you got to keep the lights low. <laughs> and we know Kirk does like his privacy on certain things. He loves his privacy. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's, pri- it's privacy with with two or three other people. However, he likes his privacy. <laughs> so it's a relative privacy. <laughs> but so many things are relative. Yeah, there's usually green things involved too. We won't go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Nope, nope. Keep it equal. Keep it all equal. So, mm-hmm. were you were you aware of Christopher Pike's history before taking on the role in in the film? Because uh, he actually is a a pretty meaty uh, character in the universe of Star Trek. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was not. I was not. And I started once I started to do the research. I I realized that there was tremendous fodder there. And all. But the interesting thing was in this in the first one, um, I had a very I. I didn't have the dilemma that uh, that the first Pike had, um, and the the, the uh, in my my Pike is, is not wrestling with whether or not to stay in Starfleet, and Jeffrey Hunter was tortured by whether or not he was he should stay in Starfleet. Right, or, you know, Pike was not Jeffrey so much, but but Pike was so. Um, <laughs> So we de- we departed ways in that way right at the get go. Mm-hmm. I, I really um, I was wondering what what they how are they were going to um, work with the uh, getting you in a wheelchair because at some point you had to be that was sort of expected. But I, yeah. I like, but you got out of it, which was nice. Well, I so. said I, I said to JJ at the end of the first film. I said, look, if I come back, is there any way I could have? Listen, it's it's two hundred years hence. Can we? Can we not get me upright somehow? You know, <laughs> so we, so we did. That's hilarious. Um, so there are some scenes in, in the first film, of course, and in, and especially in Into Darkness. Um, you you and Chris Pine were just amazing together, and it, I mean, it was really really emotional stuff. And I was curious to see how closely you worked with Chris. With on that relationship between Pike and Kirk, because basically in this last film, and this isn't a spoiler because I know everybody's pretty much seen this film, um, 
he lost the only real father figure he ever knew. And there were some real intense emotional mm-hmm. scenes. I was curious how you and Chris worked together on that. Well, you know, we talked a fair bit about it, but we have a lot of, um, there's a lot of mutual respect there and um, we really enjoy each other's company. So uh, in a certain way, it wasn't, it wasn't much of a stretch for us to, you know, to reach out to one another, you know, mm-hmm. um, that our, our, that sense of affection and respect is real. So it was, it was, you know, and you, you don't always have that luxury, but Chris is a, just a, a wonderful guy and, and, um, you know, a friend. That's wonderful. And you guys were just amazing in that movie. I just have to let you know. I really, it got oh, me. I appreciate you almost, that. Thanks. You almost, you had me tearing up a lot in this movie. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, sap. I am. I'm a complete sap. It's true. And, you know, and <laughs> it's, how can you not when Chris Pine's giant blue eyes are crying on screen? I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, if, if that doesn't get you, you know, I don't you know where you're no going to go. There's no soul there. We have no heart. Yeah. <laughs> so were you expecting what happened? I mean, like when you, uh, this is one of them from online that someone just, uh, a fan of yours basically said they did scream and in, in, in the middle of the theater when it happened. Were you expecting what happened when you were reading the script or, and did you scream and throw the script at the wall and freak out? Well, no, Jay, you know, they, they sent the script out really late and oh. um, they sent the script to my house and then I got a, uh, sort of an emergency call from JJ said, call me before you read it. Call me before you read it. <laughs> said, oh, okay. You got to call me before you read it. Do not read it without calling me. Call me before you read it. <laughs> oh, what, what? Um, so, uh, so he said, well, I got good news and bad news. And my stomach kind of went, you know, started to boil and rumble. And he said, well, the good news is, um, a great deal of film hinges on what happens with Pike. And the bad news is he doesn't survive. So, um, so I read the script knowing in advance that, that I, that I wouldn't make it, but you know, to be, to be put in that position of, of having the death mean so much was a gift. You know, it was, yeah. it's just, I'm just, just part of the storytelling thing for me to go, well, I want, I want Pike to survive and, you know, open a restaurant somewhere where we visit him in the next five movies. You know, no, not so much. I'd, I'd rather do something that's that's got some beef to it, you know. Well, and the one thing that even um, my husband and I, when we saw the film, we were kind of like, wow, that that's something really dark and wrong with this is the fact that he's, like Spock is connected to Pike when he dies. How was... I, how did, I love that bit. I just love that bit. Oh, how did you and Zach yeah, talk about that at all? Well, it's just, we've known each other for a few years now, and, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit, and then just started playing around with it, and Zach is a, you know, he's a wonderful actor, and and uh, I just watched him absorb all that was going on, and, and you know, you're so, you're so dialed, when you're doing things like that, you're so emotionally dialed in and connected anyway, that you're, you are communicating in that way, you know? It's a lot of emoting on your face, too, I mean, you, you really, it was just horrible to watch because you conveyed Good. a lot with eyes. It was it was very yeah, it was very sad. Like I said, I'm a sap, but it was really well done. Well yeah, well I also had the information that you learned later that he was terif that 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 Spock talks about. He says he was Mike was terrified and confused. Yeah. And I thought that was a really that was a bold bit of writing to have somebody in a heroic position um be be scared of death and nonplussed by death and puzzled by death and, and, uh, and afraid. I just thought that was, uh, that was all really good stuff to, to play with, you know? Yeah, it was really intense. Um, and I liked, it kind of carried over to, to Kirk as well. I mean, I really liked that kind of circle that you guys did with that whole bit. Yeah. Yeah. Really wonderfully done. Um, so, you're no stranger to science fiction. You've done genre work previously. Um, do you, with, with this film as well, with just the grade A talent that, you know, Abrams and everyone brings to this, uh, do you feel that performers are getting more respect for being a part of genre work like in science fiction and, and fantasy and, and the horror genres? I think, yeah, I think, but I think that's been happening for a long time. You know, I, I, I think there's, there's, 
Yeah, I think that's always been there to some degree. Um, maybe more so now, yeah, but I think that maybe just a function of volume. As more and more of these scripts get written and there and people are and viewers are more and more sophisticated asking more and more of their characters and um you know Battlestar Galactica was was beautifully written right there's mm-hmm. all kinds of incredible human stuff going on there and that required those actors to really be you know to really step up definitely I, I feel like the science the the TV work as well is really helping that because we're seeing a lot of, of grade A talent and, and work on television getting more, um, you know, notoriety, like with Game of Thrones and, like you said, with Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, and, and I think actors are getting better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? it's true. I think they're just getting they're just getting better. Well, and, and one thing that I wanted to ask you about before I, I um, leap off into a couple of the other things that you've done. How tough was the secrecy on this movie? Because it really um, was kept in the dark right up until the end um, with who the main villain was and all of that. How how was the secrecy on this one? Because I know you said before you'd been locked in a room and read the script. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we the script's all, they're read, so they can't be Xeroxed, and they have your name printed across every page. So you, you're very careful with what you do with that script. You know, you don't leave it lying on the kitchen table and if you have it in your house, you lock it up and that kind of thing. Um, and as far as people asking questions, you just laugh at them. <laughs> you know, just say, well, you know, um, you just don't, you don't, you just say, well, look, I mean, don't, even, don't waste your breath asking me things you know I can't tell you. Exactly. So, <laughs> We always try to trip people up. We try, but we don't always succeed. It. Oh, it's you, but that's a hope. I mean, the day you trip somebody up on a big story point, an actor <laughs> who's promised to be to keep their lips sealed, I'll you know, I'll I'll pay for a weekend at Tahiti. You know, it's not going to happen. Oh, I actually witnessed it happen with George Takei at a convention. I actually, right after when I say and when I say a weekend in Tahiti, you have to get yourself there and you'll be staying in a car. <laughs> um, so I was I was curious though with J.J. Abrams and and this crew, there's a ton of uh, you know like the neuron cream stuff and that we've now leaked yeah. online about that. <laughs> the neutron neutron cream. Yeah, the neutron cream. And and how is it to work on a set with these crazy guys? And were you like, did you get did you get hit with the cream? Did, you, did it happen to you? Oh, uh, I know. I wasn't there on the cream day. I wasn't shooting <laughs> in that location. I, I'd already perished. <laughs> I do have I do have a jar of it in in safekeeping at my house, but oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, was so that I, I, can't, I can't really tell that story. I can only repeat the story. I wasn't there, unfortunately. <laughs> that's hilarious. I uh, it was freaking hilarious. Um, so. Did JJ? I gotta ask this. Did JJ do the thing with the microphone during shooting again, where he like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> except except much better than I do it. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I asked him about that when I met him at Comic Con, and he's like, "That was so embarrassing. I didn't realize I was doing it." <laughs> I don't believe him. Well, he's constantly doing it. Yeah, he's just <laughs> he's a free spirit with that mic. That's funny. So, um, with the recent uh, Batman casting that um, has kind of taken over the internet, I'm curious: it, were you ever in the running to possibly be in the new Superman as an older Bruce Wayne? Because it seemed perfect. I'm not even. I'm not even aware of this controversy Batman thing you're talking about. What are you talking about? Oh, um, with Ben Affleck is the. Really. Yes. Well. I wonder where I fit in. Uh, we we were wondering. Well, actually, uh, you were one of the names a lot of people have been banding about. Like, would be preferred as Batman. Well, that would have been that would have been great. But um, no, my phone didn't uh, didn't ring. Didn't vibrate on that. Didn't vibrate on that one. That's sad. But so, kind of moving in from that. But, yeah, but I mean, you know, was you can imagine the executives at the studio going, "Well, I don't know." It's, we could use Affleck or Greenwood. It's a, such a hard choice. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that conversation would have lasted very long. 
<laughs> we actually a lot of people are saying that they would have liked you to have been it, which is is great. I I would have been on board with that for sure. And you well, have well, and I would I would have given it my wholehearted support. <laughs> However, that was it was never part of any conversation I ever had. Well, if you could take a crack at any other franchises or characters out there, which one would you like to do? If I mean, like, if if someone came to you and said, "Bruce, we're going to give you your pick," who would? What would you like to do? That would be Fletch. Really? <laughs> <laughs> you you're laughing. I I know people that want that to come back. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of, I enjoyed Fletch. I have to say, um, and I'm only saying that because we were talking about Fletch this morning for some reason. But um, Fletch would be good. Fletch would be good. Uh, I don't know, Jessica. I don't. That's. I, I can't really. Um, I can only. I can only give you a dumb answer to that right now. <laughs> but you would. You wouldn't have said no to Batman. Well, no, and maybe it's not too late. Maybe somebody can call, you know, Affleck and say, dude, you know, spread the love around a little bit. You know, you're a busy director. Is it really necessary for you to be a superhero, too? <laughs> I'd be on board with that. I will start up the petition right yeah. now. Okay, let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's start the write-in campaign. See if we can get 20, 20, 20 to 30 people to turn the studio around. That is awesome. Well, um, I, I have one thing, because this is Fangirl Radio. And um, mm-hmm. we have a, I have a co-host whose name is Ren Willux, and she she can't be on tonight to, for this interview, but she uh, freaked out and started screaming when she found out I was going to be interviewing you. And she asked me, "What, what did I what did I do to her?" She well, you made her happy. In a good way. You made her happy. Okay. Bruce, all I have to say. Okay, well, let's leave it at that. She said um, she asked me to read a little note to you, if if I uh, if I can, real quick, um, just so you know that she, she's a fan. And and here it is. She said, "Dearest Miss, Mr. Bruce Greenwood, it's such a thrill to get to say hi to you. I've been a huge fan since your show Nowhere Man in '95, which I watched with rabid devotion." In the years following, it's been a delight to keep seeing you in great movies all the time. I will, in fact, jump in my chair, point at the screen, and go, "Hey, it's Bruce Greenwood." I've come to the conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> she said that. I've come to the conclusion that you must be a truly lovely man, as you are constantly in work and always have great roles. Thanks for being on our show. Thank you for your excellent work, and I can't wait to see all your new projects. Love, Ren. Oh wow! Wow, that's that's very kind and generous, and she's absolutely right. <laughs> you are a lovely man. I, I have to. Oh no, that's that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. That's 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 really nice. But she wanted to make. I wanted to make sure that I got to say that to you because she was uh, very very excited. And we are too. And I want to say again, thank you so much for coming on the show and also for bringing Christopher Pike back and making him a true, uh, truly badass, awesome character in Star Trek. He was he was great. Oh, thanks. And I, and well, I next, next, maybe next time I'm in Toronto, we can do it in person. Oh, that w- that would be great. I, I I would be down for that. So thank you so much again for joining us on the show. And um, I got to see a, a sneak preview of the Blu-ray, and it looks amazing. So you guys did a great job. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, okay, I saw, thanks. I saw it at the Midnight IMAX, and that was, that was awesome. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Well, thank you again, sir, and I uh, look forward to seeing all your stuff, and uh, thank you for being on. Okay, cheers. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. Bye-bye. Police!